If you like to gamble, I tell you I'm your man. You win some, lose some, it's all the same to me. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the official Motorhead podcast, The Motorcast. I am your host, Howard H. Smith. You may know me as lead singer with UK thrash band Acid Rain. Alternatively, you may know me from my own heavy metal podcast, Talking Bollocks, which you can find by just clicking my name in the podcast description in your app or on your device you'll see my name and you can click it and that'll take you to all those podcasts anyway on this podcast i am merely your host your guide through all things motorhead and continuing on talking about the ace of spades of which i'm sure you've all grabbed the 40th anniversary uh, re-releases which are sounding amazing lots of positive comments about that lots of positive comments about the motorcast as well thank you very much if you want to get in touch hashtag motorcast and just anywhere on social media and um, we will find it for all of your motorhead business please do go to imotorhead.com where you have links to this podcast and pretty much everything motorhead so here we are episode five and we have an absolute cracker this is all about the studio where ace of spades was recorded which was jackson's studios in rickmansworth and you have got coming up an interview with john jackson and his daughter sally freeman with all of their memories about what it was like working with the guys recording the album and hey instead of telling you all that let's get stuck in and have a listen First of all, thank you for for agreeing to do this, both of you. I realise it's um it's it's a long, long time ago, but um, I suppose my, my my first question is, as always, let's start at the beginning. What was the first interaction for either of you, John? Would it have been you hearing from the record label, or how did this all get started? Yes, um, at the time, um, our engineer producer was Vic Mail, and um, who produced the Ace of Spades album. And uh, uh, one day he came and said, um, Motorhead are going to coming down to record. He said, but there's only one thing that you need to take notice of. And that is, they require a bottle of Smirnoff Blue, a bottle of Sainsbury's dry white wine, and some plastic cups every time they come to the studio. So um, we laid out a table with um, a white tablecloth on it, and uh, the... Smirnoff Blue was wrapped in lovely tissue paper because they liked to unwrap it themselves and so was the bottle of white wine from, um, from uh, Sainsbury's and um, that's how they started the day so they got off to a really good start <laughs> they, were, <laughs> they, they were lovely uh, chaps um, we were slightly apprehensive because you never know w- 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 what clients are going to be like but they were so very gentle lovely people and um, we really enjoyed having them. They were there for about six weeks, I think, in all. So that that must have been quite the contrast when you know you're you're, you're told that this is what the band want every morning. So you must be thinking, right, what have we let ourselves in for? So when you actually met the guys and, and found out how they were, that must have been a, a a little bit of a surprise. It was really, yeah. Uh, they, they were lovely, and um, it was a great time. They had a good sense of humour and. Um, uh, they always behaved like gentlemen. Um, 
so it was great and um they they were um uh, really hard workers uh they turned up on time every day two o'clock i think it was they worked two to twelve and then of course being young and full of energy um they were out on the town after twelve o'clock that that was that was just uh, the recording was just the start of their day and then they'd go up to town and go on the town. Right. And they, had, they had tremendous stamina. That was the thing. And I think you had to have that to tour like they did, especially with the kind of volume they played at. Yes, exactly. And, and which, which town would have that been? That they, uh, that w- w- what was the nearest town? Um, oh, well, well when, they went, when I said went to town, that's a colloquial for going back to London. Ah, right, okay, so they yeah, were... So, so they came out to the boondocks in Rickmansworth um, every day. Sometimes they went to the local pub, the Cross, and uh, had a vodka and something there. But, um, uh, yeah, they, 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 went, they, they, they drove back to town and um, uh, got on, on the uh, party scene, you know, after 12 o'clock or whenever they got home. Uh, and so, they, and then they trek through from London every day, back to Rickmansworth yeah. to the studio for two o'clock in the afternoon for another ten-hour shift. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, it was a very regular. They worked very hard. Um, I think they really liked um, Vic, the engineer. He was um, a quiet, modest chap, but um, he knew how to get the best out of them. Uh, the studio was an old um, barn with a very high roof. And it had very good separation. They, they, uh, their volume was enormous in the studio. But um, Vic was a great engineer. He'd sit there with his Auto Trader magazine, um, reading that while they were doing their take. And at the end, they say, "How was it, Vic? How was it?" Well, I don't know. I think you could do a bit better. And he was great at winding them up. And he'd do this a few times. They'd be playing louder, heavier, and whatever. So he got the best out of them, which was, um, they appreciated, I think, in the end. Um, but it was just his technique of, of uh, playing it down all the time. Well, I don't know, could be better. But um, he, he was a really good engineer, and he was ideal for them because he was able to separate their sound because normally it's, all, it's so loud that you couldn't pick anything out. But the studio had very good separation. So that enabled them to um, enable him to separate the sound and get a good overall sound. Right, and a very, um, a, a very kind of clever, subtle way of getting the best out of a band as well. It's completely unconfrontational. You know, there's no, there's oh, no yeah. point. There's no point in saying, "Well, what do you think of that?" Well, it wasn't very good because you're going to turn yeah. up. You're going to walk straight into an argument. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that was the, um, the standard thing was actually engineers looking as though they weren't at all interested and reading Auto Trader or whatever it was, um, was a sort of standard thing in the industry, actually, um, so that it made people um, not so aware of themselves in the studio. So I think he did, um, he did a really good job. Well, w- without doubt. I mean, it, the, the, the feedback from everybody is this is the first time that you know, Motorhead actually sounded like Motorhead on a record and, and all of the members were really, really happy with it. Um, were you? Did you? Were you? Did you call in during the recordings, just sort of popping your head in as studio studio owners tend to do? Oh yeah, absolutely yes. And um, they <laughs> um, 
they were quite deferential because I think at, at that time I must have been pretty old as far as they were concerned. Uh, 1980, I would have been 44, which was like somebody out of the ark uh, as far as they were concerned. <laughs> but uh, they seemed quite happy with it uh, because also um, my mother was living at the back and she was 80-something at the time and they got on very well with her. She cooked um, cakes and things for them. And um, she was always able to get on well with people, and they seemed to love her. So um, the uh, age didn't seem to matter at that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and uh, so by my by my um, uh, dreadful maths, that ma- that makes you what eighty four at the moment? Six. Eighty six. Yeah, I told you my maths was dreadful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. Um, uh, well, look, I, I, it's it, it's amazing. Clearly, you had a lot of people through the doors over the years, but Motorhead has has sort of stuck in your memory. Yes, it has. Yeah, they were they were something else. In fact, um, Sally's got a lovely story about the uh, drummer Phil. Tell, tell um, Howard about that. Please do, Sally. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, my job, um, I was the boss's daughter, and over the summer. I was on the reception and basically looking after the band. So my job in the morning was to clear up all the kind of the green room area where the band hung out. So that was like collecting all the vodka bottles, restocking the booze. <laughs> right. Uh, you, so you were you were one of their favourite people, I would imagine, if that was that, that's well, the case. Yeah, you know what? They were just, I have to say, they were really lovely. I mean... To put it in context, it was the 80s, so I was into Wham and Pop, and I really had no context, you know, for hardcore rock and roll. And um, I think lots of hardcore rock and roll bands came to the studio, you know, like Wilco Johnson, you know, Dr. Feelgood, Eddie and the Hot Rods. Um, there had been loads of punk bands, and in fact, Girls' School had come through as well. They had done Demolition with uh, Vic Mail, and that led on to the... St. Valentine's Massacre. So yes. my job was, you know, I was just the make sandwiches, tea girl, and uh, vodka girl, really. Um, at the time, I, I don't really remember Jack Daniels so well, although they were probably doing everything. So um, I think I, I think he joined the band later. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Jack, yeah, he joined later. So you know, I was my job was just to do all the kind of boring jobs. And one day, Phil came to me and said. Phil, uh, Sally, I need to wash my car. Um, uh, have you got some hot water and stuff? And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, after this take, I'm going to clean the car. And he had this beautiful kind of green and yellow. Um, I, I really am not into cars, but it's like one of those most American rock and roll cars that right. um, has obviously been imported. Yeah. And in fact, I've just got the um, 40th anniversary Ace of Spades box from the record company and there's a fantastic picture of uh, Filthy Animal Phil you know reclined across it and I said sure yeah I'll bring I'll I'll bring out the um, soapy water no problem and uh, so he did his take and he kind of disappeared Um, I got on with stuff I got the 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 soapy water and everything and all the stuff of the car took it out to the car and he said oh Sal it's right. yeah no worries Um, I've cleaned the car and I was like oh how did you do it? He said, oh, I actually found some suntan oil in the back of the car and I cleaned the car with suntan oil and the car did look amazing. You know, it just had kind of literally greased up and it was really shiny. Yeah. And I uh, thought nothing more of it. 
the following day comes in, sort of early afternoon. He says, Sal, Sal, come and have a look at the car. And the whole car was like a massive flypaper. Um, <laughs> and it, all the oil had congealed, and there were like a zillion flies stuck to it in the days when we had insects and flies and stuff. And it just looked horrendous. <laughs> So <laughs> that's a story I remember really well. Did you have well, to? Um, do you, uh, so presumably he then had to wash his car all over again. He would have done, but I mean, this stuff was like black and like an oil slick congealed all over oh, the car. So I didn't actually do that, so he would have spent a long time doing that. But um, my memory of them is, you know, I guess partly because I was the boss's daughter, just being very kind, lovely guys, really. Uh, who spent a summer at Jackson Studios making one of the most iconic albums in the world, you know. Yeah, I know. And, and, and it's it's amazing that you look back, you know, you look back now and they were just kind of, they were just three guys in the studio who just happened to be there. Was no, nothing was, you know, you, you, don't, you don't know when, <laughs> when history's being made at the time. No, exactly. And um, I, I think I... I I really like what Dad said about Vic. His impersonation of Vic was spot on because <laughs> he was he was a quiet genius. You know, he was very understated and he had very clear ideas about production that just worked really well. And if you actually listen to, you know, the Ace of Spades, although it's full on, it's each part is quite separate. It's not confused. And um, I was reading some production notes, interestingly, where they'd actually been to the um, iconic rock fields in Monmouthshire, and they just didn't manage to get the sound that they required. So this was kind of the second attempt, um, and they found that at Jackson Studios. And interestingly, if you listen to a lot of the other bands that came out of Jackson Studios, it has that kind of typical dead sound, is, is what we call it. You know, you're going to hear it on things like 2468 Motorway. There's a similar sound across all sorts of music, you know, from Stop to Feel Good, um, uh, Tom Robinson. And it's kind of like that dead sound, which just works really well for kind of punk and heavy rock. Yeah, and uh, by the sounds of it, you've, you've, you've had quite the, um, quite the list of, uh, of people through um, over the years. And... Um, I, I mean, is is the Ace of Spades something that you know? After all these years, you you you. I mean, you said you got the box set there, that um, that you listen to, that you've kind of got to appreciate over the years, or is it is it still sort of very much outside of your uh, your musical lexicon? No, no, I absolutely love it. I really do. And what's really interesting is Lemmy, before he passed away, recorded like a blues version, I think, for a beer ad. And it almost works because the song is so good and the words are so excellent. It works. It's kind of multi-genre. And um, so I've grown to absolutely love it. And what's amazing is the reach that it has. And, you know, it's had syncs for films. It's been used massively on computer games. Um, so it's kind of a song that has just had a huge reach and continues to do so. In fact, um um, I'm, I'm friends with a record producer, a guy called Alan Mulder, who went on to Smashing Pumpkins, Arctic Monkeys, and he told me that he ha- it's his alarm in the morning. So it's kind of, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's an amazing tune. I don't know, Dad, what do you think? What, what, yeah. is, what are your thoughts? Funnily enough, uh, Sally was talking about Phil and the, and the car. Um, a few weeks later, I think 
they were on tour in Ireland, and Phil had an accident. He nearly broke his neck, I think. Um, it was five o'clock in the morning. I think he's on somebody's shoulders in a lift. Yeah. Uh, had an accident. Anyway, um, about a fortnight later, this, um, they're, they're booked in to record, and um, Phil turns up with a brace on his neck, with his head straight up, and um, he's obviously tough, these guys, because he went straight in there and sat on the drums and started playing. But his head was straight up in the air with his brace on. So they, they obviously came from a tough line of people. Wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, that would have... I'm, I'm taking a guess here. Would that have been the St. Valentine's Day Massacre? Yeah, it might have been, yes. I'm not absolutely sure, to be honest. Yeah, no, uh, I, I think it is purely because um, I remember speaking... I've, I've spoken to Kim and Enid, and, um, yeah. uh, and one of them mentioned that they, they were there, you know, at the recording. Phil turned up and he... Uh, Oh, he had right. a neck brace on, so I think it must yeah. have been the St Valentine's Day thing. Yeah, um, they, they 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 were a very interesting uh, combination of motorhead and girls' school, because the girls could give as good as they got, and I think the boys <laughs> realised that they they'd met their match there. But um, that was a good recording, the uh, St Valentine's Day massacre. Lovely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they got on very well together. They were, um, yeah, they were another uh, lovely addition. Funnily enough, this is nothing to do with anything, but um, we're going on holiday to Italy, and um, sitting next to me is, um, is this girl um, with a black top and black trousers, and I'd ordered um, a, a baguette, uh, a hot baguette, and as I reached forward, she recoiled, because she, she, it turns out that this was um, uh, one of the girls from um, girls' school. Um, anyway, when it got near the end of the journey, um, they see their stuff being taken off the uh, plane, and one of their guitars on the top falls onto the tarmac. So it's very frustrating for them to see something bouncing along the tarmac when they're on tour in Italy. But... Um, they, they were a lovely group, lovely, lovely people. Yeah, yeah and, and and they they you they suddenly you suddenly realised that you knew each other, didn't you, on the on the plane? Yeah. That was a nice moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What a small what a small world to to end up you know end, ending up on a plane next to one of the band who've used your studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, can I just ask um, Howard, um, uh, what do you do? Well, I um, I'm a stand-up comedian, and I I sing in a um, in a thrash metal band, and I have done since um, way back in 1987. So um, oh right. So uh, so yeah, I've I've I'm, I've I've been around. Yeah. Oh good. So what do you play? Um, I'm well. I, <laughs> uh, musicians will love this. I don't I don't play an instrument. Uh, I'm a, I'm a singer. Oh lovely. Oh that's good. So. Uh, uh, um, this has been very nice talking to you. I hope we've been able to give you a bit of information that um, you know that, that's relevant and enjoyable. Oh, look, guys, it's been absolutely wonderful. I really, I really appreciate it. Um, I just, I just wanted to ask one last question, and that, and that is, how did you come to to own the studio? Um, I mean, because I'm always interested in how these kind of things happen. Um, uh, to cut a long story short. My father was a 
disc jockey working for the BBC. He was one of the first. 1948, he started. Right. And um, his program uh, consisted of records plus a lot of uh, cut-up bits and pieces from comedy records and whatever. Um, anyway, uh, we lived in Rickmansworth, and he started off by building the studio for the purpose of um, putting these uh, programs together. So when my brother and I took it over in 1964, um, it was basically a two-track studio. And so we built, so um, over the years we built it up to a 24 track studio, and um, so we were dealing with all the the young groups from 64 onwards, um, uh, all the young groups who um, were in the area, and then as it um, progressed, we started recording for the larger uh, major companies. Right. Okay. Uh, well, uh, that, that's that, that's wonderful, and um, and um, is it is it is it true? Am I thinking of the right thing? Is the studio being recreated for um for a, for a museum somewhere? Yeah, it's it's kind of a work in progress. Yeah. Um, essentially, um, after the the studio was shut down, it was uh, rescued for the Chiltern Open Air Museum, and it's currently in process of planning to be rebuilt and it's going to be converted into a cafe and live music space and we hope that a lot of the memorabilia from Motorhead and all the different bands that played will be displayed there uh, just you know as a kind of testimony to all the incredible bands that recorded yeah. uh, as, over the time and yeah and so that people will be able to journey all around the world to come and see the place where Ace of Spades was recorded. Wow. Oh, well, that's that's amazing. That really is. Thank you so much, both of you, for your time, Sally and John. It's been it's been great. And and I mean, I can barely remember what happened next week. The fact that you yeah. have all these stories is absolutely wonderful. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, it, it's true. It's kind of like in the depths of my mind. I think it, these things they at the time they really impressed, and that, you know, it's great to be a very very small part of rock and roll history. So great to talk to you Howard thank great you, Howard. No, not at all no thank you guys and thank you on behalf of everybody listening there um, you know you've you've really shed some light where there's been none before thank you very much fantastic cheers guys yeah fantastic thanks so much no problem take care Howard you too thanks guys bye 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 Well, as always, I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed doing it. A very, very, very rare um, interview. I don't think you're going to hear from uh, John and Sarah anywhere else other than here. We really are trying to find the guests for you to really dive deep into the history here. And obviously, uh, John was the owner of the studio at the time. Didn't mention that at the beginning, but yeah, he's the owner. I think that obviously becomes um, apparent as the interview goes on. But yeah, just great fun and hopefully informative. And, you know, you've you've found things out there and heard things there that you either didn't know or uh, you just like listening to. It's a pleasure having you here. And on that note, please make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure you subscribe. Hit the subscribe button and one of these beautiful will land in your chosen device every fortnight so it's just it's that simple and if you're struggling at all 
where to find the podcast any podcast app any podcast player that will play the podcast no problem i know that sounds a bit weird because you're already listening to it but it depends where people find it and we want to keep you all informed and want to make sure that you don't miss an episode so as always thank you very much for your company looking forward to seeing you again in another two weeks for episode six I don't show you greed. The only God I need is the ace of spades. The ace of spades.